There is something about love and crime that when combined can always take a turn for the worse. However, what can you expect from couples who would do absolutely anything for love? These couples kept their deranged spark alive by committing a variety of crimes that eventually became violent in nature. Here's the top five most infamous criminal couples in America. Raymond Fernandez and Martha Beck, The Lonely Hearts Killers Martha Beck, born as Martha Jewel Seabrook, was a single mother of two and a nurse in Florida. Though she was thought to excel in her professional life, her personal and romantic life continuously suffered. Raymond Fernandez, born as Raymond Martinez Fernandez, worked at a relative's farm during his early years. He then left to serve as a merchant marine during World War II where he was injured causing a debilitating skull fracture. This particular fracture that caused injury to his frontal lobe hospitalized Raymond for more than three months, and he eventually emerged from this accident a completely different and evil man. This change in personality catapulted Raymond into a life of crime. It first landed him in prison for theft, where a cellmate of his, who was a Haitian man, introduced Raymond to voodoo and the dark world of the occult. When he was released from prison in 1946, he believed that he had mastered the voodoo craft of sexual enticement. Therefore, he began writing love letters to dozens of women within the Lonely Hearts Club. After gaining these women's trust, he would then steal their money, their jewelry, and other things that they had. The robberies took a violent turn when he met Martha Beck. She was one of the women he sent love letters to. And on December of 1947 in Florida, they met for the very first time. Raymond initially tried to end his relationship with Martha, but after she was unexpectedly fired from her job, she packed her bags with her two children and showed up on his doorstep. He agreed to let her stay with a contingency of her abandoning her children. She obliged and left them at a Salvation Army. Fernandez then revealed his con of a business to Martha, who agreed to become his partner in these crimes, pretending to be his sister or sister-in-law with a victim. Usually, they would just steal from these women and let them free. But Martha soon became envious and started attacking these women. After many women, Martha decided that she couldn't stand having to share Fernandez with them, no matter how fictitious the relationship may be. Between 1947 and 1949, they committed at least 20 murders. After murdering a young mother and child in Michigan, they were finally caught and sentenced to death. Eventually executed in New York's Sing Sing prison in 1951. Bonnie and Clyde Bonnie Parker first met Clyde Barrow through a mutual friend in January 1930 when Bonnie was just 19 years old. Clyde Barrow at the time of the meeting was just 20 years old but led a life of crime. He was a wanted man and after spending many weeks with Bonnie, their romance was interrupted with Clyde's arrest. As soon as he arrived in prison, he knew he needed to escape. Bonnie, who believed Clyde was her soulmate, managed to smuggle a gun into the prison for him and by March 11, 1930, he used the weapon to escape with his cellmates only to be caught just a week later. He was sentenced to 15 years of hard labor and transferred to Eastham State Farm where he was sexually assaulted repeatedly by other inmates. In 1932, he was released from prison where his mother successfully convinced the judge to grant him parole. Bonnie and Clyde soon reunited with a small group of men and embarked on a crime spree robbing banks and businesses. During a failed robbery, Bonnie found herself in prison, and when the court hearing came around two months later, they failed to convict 
Bonnie of any crimes after she stated that she was a kidnapping victim of the Barrow gang. As soon as Bonnie was released, she reunited once again with Clyde. They partnered with other gang operatives who conducted robberies and violent crimes throughout multiple states. By 1933, Bonnie, Clyde, and the rest of the gang became one of the most wanted for several murders, including many law enforcement officials. Despite a massive deployment of law enforcement and FBI in late 1932, they managed to escape and avoid capture for nearly two years. After a fellow gang member, Henry Methvin, murdered an officer in Commerce, Oklahoma, Bonnie and Clyde were pursued for weeks. In the morning of May 23, 1934, they drove into an ambush on Highway 154 in Louisiana and were killed in a rain of bullets. It was later found that the ambush was in fact set up by Henry Methvin's father who wanted leniency for his son's hearing. Despite their various violent and selfish crimes, the life of Bonnie and Clyde have been romanticized by the public and the media. Musicals, movies, and books have been written about them, perhaps to try to categorize what the combination of love and crime can produce. To this day, their bullet-damaged car from the ambush remains on display at a resort casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. Charlene and Gerald Gallego between 1978 and 1980, Charlene and Gerald Gallego raped and murdered nine young women, including one pregnant woman in the western United States. Charlene and Gerald had an incredibly devious sexual appetite and dynamic. Gerald dominated the relationship, and Charlene did exactly what he said, from how she dressed to turning over any type of income that she made. Charlene, however, found Gerald to be enticing and full of excitement, so she happily followed his commands. This toxic relationship of a twisted couple began to arise when they began to fantasize about having young, disposable sex slaves. Then, from 1978 to 1980, over the course of a mere two years, the couple abducted women. Some of their victims were as young as 13 years old, and both Charlene and Gerald raped them for hours on end, and then murdered them once the couple felt like they had enough. This sick pattern continued until they kidnapped a young, engaged couple from a parking lot at gunpoint. The young woman's fiancé was shot and killed, while the young woman herself, like many of the unfortunate victims, before her was brutally raped and then killed. Fortunately, the friends of the young couple who saw them being abducted wrote down the license plate number of Charlene and Gerald's van and reported it to the police. This ultimately led to Charlene and Gerald's arrest. In 1984, in exchange for not being tried in California, Charlene testified against Gerald. She also pleaded guilty to murder and was sentenced to 16 years in prison in Nevada. Gerald was convicted of murder in Nevada in California. He was sentenced to death, but died in prison of rectal cancer in 2002. Charlene was released from prison in 1997. Henry Lucas and Otis Toll Exactly how many people did Henry Lucas and Otis Toll murder? This is a continuous subject of debate. Lucas had been raised by an abusive mother who forced him to copulate with dead animals. He stabbed her to death in 1960 and had been in and out of jail when he and Toole, a cannibal with a fifth grade education, met at a soup kitchen in 1976. They soon began a sexual relationship. Together, they established a standard for psychopathic serial killer behavior, abducting, raping, and murdering as they drifted around the country. Their exploits would inspire the 1986 classic, Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. In 1983, Toole was imprisoned for arson in Florida. 
and sentenced to 20 years in prison. Lucas was arrested two months later for possession of a deadly weapon, and soon began boasting about the murderous rampage he and Toole had supposedly committed during their relationship. At first, Toole denied any involvement but later corroborated Lucas's claim. After being convicted of multiple slayings, Toole confessed to many more including the 1981 murder of Adam Walsh, son of John Walsh of America's Most Wanted. He then died in jail of cirrhosis in 1996. Lucas, meanwhile, confessed to hundreds of murder and was eventually convicted of 11 homicides, including the death of Frida Powell, Tool's young niece, and 82-year-old Kate Rich. He was also convicted and sentenced to death for the murder of an unidentified woman dubbed Orange Socks, because that was all the clothing that was found on her body when it was discovered. By 1986, he'd helped to clear 213 unsolved cases. That year, the Texas Attorney General's office compared Lucas's claims to verified reports on his whereabouts at the time and found enough contradictions to make Attorney General call his confessions a hoax. Toole died in prison in 2001, taking any chance of learning the true extent of his crimes with him. So the question lingers. How many people did Henry and Lucas truly kill? Eileen Warnos and Tyria Moore Eileen Warnos, born as Eileen Carol Pittman, was born February 29, 1956, to a single teenage mother, Diane Warnos. Eileen's mother, Diane, was struggling to survive during Eileen's early childhood. She was married at 14 years old to a 16-year-old named Leo Dale Pittman. They later got divorced and Diane was left to support Eileen and her brother Keith on her own. Diane had no job and had minimal contact with her own family. She eventually made the decision to abandon her children at her parents' home. Eileen also has never met her father who was incarcerated for majority of her childhood. Her father was also eventually diagnosed with schizophrenia and later was convicted of various sex crimes against minors. While in prison in 1969, Eileen's father hanged himself. Tyria Jolene Moore was a vocational school C student from Cadiz, Ohio. Tyria's family was a typical small-town American family. She had a lot of siblings and had a well-respected father who was a carpenter. She eventually left her hometown due to her sexual orientation. In 1986, Eileen Wernos and Tyria Moore met at a lesbian bar in South Daytona, Florida, called Zodiac. Eileen was not a lesbian before meeting Tyria. However, it did not take long for Eileen to develop an attachment to Tyria. Soon, Tyria Moore, though wasn't employed herself, began complaining about money and stability. In an effort to keep Tyria Moore from leaving her, Eileen started looking for regular jobs, trying to steer away from prostitution. Eventually, after Tyria continuously complained about Eileen not providing her with continuous income, Eileen gave in and began prostituting herself again with Tyria's stamp of approval. For four years, Eileen and Tyria lived a nomadic life traveling from one motel to another. They financially supported their lifestyle and toxic relationship by Eileen prostituting herself. This led to one particular event, when I Eileen found herself raped and beaten by Richard Mallory, causing her to succumb to murdering Richard. This single murder, due to self-defense, eventually led to the malicious murders of six other men along the Florida interstate. After four years of traveling from one motel to another, in 1990, Tyria leaves Eileen to spend Thanksgiving with her family, and a few months later, Eileen was arrested. Apparently, Tyria was brought back to Florida by the police to try to get Eileen to confess to the killing. 
happening. During this time, Tyria had numerous taped calls to Eileen in jail, trying to persuade her to confess. During the calls, Eileen over and over tells Tyria how much she loved her. However, Tyria did not once say it back. What Tyria did do is cry to Eileen, telling her that the cops were coming for her. And after a while, Eileen gave in. Though Eileen was apparently the one who really conducted all of the murders and not with her lover Tyria, Tyria admitted to knowing about at least one. Many readers have always criticized Tyria, stating that she was the mind behind Eileen and that she used her mental disability for her own gain. During trial, when Tyria was on the stand against Eileen, she did not make one eye contact with her. Eileen also sent her many letters in prison, however Tyria has never reached back to her. She also mentioned that she has never loved Eileen and in a quote, had a relationship like a sister. Up to the day of her execution, Eileen had always loved Tyria. In one of the last letters sent to Tyria, she writes, you're my left and right arm, my breath, and I would die for you. And with that, we will always wonder if this statement is a response to her execution. So those are the top most infamous criminal couples in America. Please like and subscribe for more content.